Welcome to Parent to Parent, real-life tips to raise resilient kids. A podcast from Communities That Care of Greater Downingtown. This is Chrissy Jambowski, and I have two young kids. And I'm Beth Ann Sinelli, and I have two adult kids. Together, we'll meet with experts and fellow parents to share personal stories and provide support and actionable steps to strengthen your family and raise healthy kids. We're glad you're here. Let's get started. Welcome to Parent to Parent. This is Chrissy, and today we have Dr. Stephanie diaz Morel, founder of Reboot and Recover, returning again to talk with us more about technology, which is a very requested topic. I would say probably the top requested topic that we get asked to cover on here and other parent programs and events that we offer at CTC. So in our last episode together, we talked about how to balance screen time and tech use in your family, which I can link to in the show notes if you want to go back and listen, and I would highly recommend that you do. Um, But today we are talking specifically about technology, internet use, and video games, and how these things come together to affect our kids' behavior. So Dr. Diaz-Morel, welcome back. Thank you. So glad to be here. So to get started, can you talk about the research that you're doing and what you're seeing and how video games and the internet use, like using these things, how they impact our kids' behavior? Absolutely. So my research really focuses on the intersection between technology use and wellness amongst youth and adults. And from recent projects that I've been involved with, we've been working with middle and high school students to evaluate how they um, perceive the internet and its role in their lives. So we include not just being online, but the content that they're viewing, the games that they're playing, Um, And then their awareness of some of the ways that the uh, content and games intersect into other areas of behaviors like gambling. So can you explain what are some behaviors that you're seeing as a result of what kids are being exposed to through these different types of technology? So some of the experiences that they report having with with the internet and with gaming is FOMO, the fear of missing out. Um, Almost every single middle schooler, high schooler that we uh, talk to and collect data from are aware of these terms, right? These are now household terminologies for them. But the impact that this fear of missing out has on them is still not quite as known, but their attitudes, beliefs, and behaviors around how much content they should view, how much time they should spend on gaming is being shaped by the internet. So there's these intersecting factors that come with internet use that those who are experiencing um, technology are impacted by, including the potential for it to develop into some of those more problematic areas. Um, And first and foremost, you know, we know that the Internet is ubiquitous Mm -hmm. and thus the grand majority of those who are using it are going to be using it for school, are going to be using it for work, are going to be using it for fun. Mm -hmm. And adolescents are saying, um, you know, they are spending time on 
TikTok and on Twitch and YouTube watching content because they're learning or because they are uh, bored. So they're feeling that feeling of being bored, right? This unwanted or negative emotion uh, that they consider boredom to be. Um, but in place of that, what, how their attitudes, knowledge, and beliefs are being shaped by the content they're viewing and the games they're playing, that's where there's a bit of a disconnect, right? Maybe they do uh, have a little bit of awareness of how, for example, playing games that might um, be more violent desensitizes them to the potential of violence mm -hmm. or watching content that has more of a shock and awe factor is impacting the way that they see things that might be also considered you know, shocking in the physical world mm -hmm. is making them a little more numb to it. Mm -hmm. They're not really making that connection. And that's part of the concern is that technology, the way that technology is also designed um, is designed to keep us engaged. Yes. And so some of these things like the shock and awe factor or the games that are highly interactive, they're going to be catching more of our attention due to things like persuasive technology design. So the goal with the research is to identify what um, youth currently know, how they see it impacting their lives, and then compare that to what larger scale studies show so that we can develop positive prevention messages and interventions to help youth navigate through persuasive technology design and find best ways to reduce their screen time or keep it to a level where it's not negatively impacting their psychosocial functioning. It's not negatively impacting other areas of their life, like their schoolwork or their time with family and friends. Right. And that's, and you and I, so I want to talk more about this persuasive technology and also the fact that you brought up, this is something that we hear that is a phenomenon that I'm seeing in my house with the boredom. I'm bored. I'm bored. And the instant thought of, I need to have a screen, which you mm -hmm. could also say is the same for right adults. You go to the grocery store as you're standing in line, mm -hmm. waiting to check out. What's the first thing we all do? Pull out our phones to check it. Like we, it's a thing among all ages, but I know I really do, which we can talk about, but I do also want to cover, especially this impact and what that looks like um, with kids. So I want to talk a little bit more about this persuasive technology after we take a quick break. We'll be right back. Chrissy, is that you? Cheryl. Oh my gosh. How are you? Good. I was just thinking about you. I've been missing the days when we used to hang out with the kids. Ugh, I miss those days too. Parenting isn't getting any easier. I wish I could connect with other parents like I used to. Have you heard that our CTC parent to parent peer support groups are ready to start? They are? Tell me more. Well, CTC already does a lot for parents and youth in the Downingtown community. Now they're starting parent support groups. Would you like to come with me? There's a new topic each month, and it will be a relaxed and casual conversation guided by a parenting professional. I'm expecting it to be much better than searching on Google for an hour. Oh, you do that too? Yes, I'd love to join you. Fantastic. I'll text you the link, but it's easy to remember. It's dtownctc.org. Then click the Parent to Parent tab and choose Peer Support Groups. Listen, I gotta run, but let's definitely plan to go together to the next session. 
That sounds great. I'm so glad I saw you today. I'll look for your text for the info about the Parent to Parent Peer Support Group. So we are back. And when we were setting up this episode, um, Dr. diaz Morel, you talked about persuasive technology. Um, and you just mentioned it a minute ago. And this design. So which makes sense as these these little computers that we hold in our pockets and have on tablets and have with us all of the time, we can't seem to break up with them or put them down mm -hmm. for very long. So mm -hmm. could you talk a little bit more about how this persuasive technology design affects youth specifically? Absolutely. So technology companies um, design technology in a way that the purpose is to keep eyes on the screen, mm -hmm. regardless of whatever implications that might have, right? Their focus is to keep the eyes on the screen, to keep you engaged with their technology. Not every single company, but the vast majority do. And they consider factors like motivation, ability, and triggers when they design their apps with the goal of persuading us to spend more time clicking and scrolling. A motivation can be our desire for social connection. So social media apps in, in particular, right? It's great for this. Um, the user must have the ability to easily do what the app wants you to do. So you have that autonomy, something that children really gravitate towards because in most of their lives, they don't have a lot of autonomy, right? They have caregivers and societal structures and norms in place telling them, what to do and how to do it because they're children, they're still learning. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, technology does give us the ability to do what we think we want to do within the app, but really it's the app, what it wants mm -hmm. us to do. Mm -hmm. And then triggers are the prompting feature. So these are notifications. Those are the things that keep you coming back, right? Mm -hmm. For example, and if you download a free to play game, um, Many children will, they'll download free to play games. Parents and caregivers will say, yes, you can play that game as long as it's free. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and when they download these free to play games, many of them are notorious for having tons of triggers to keep the children coming back and keep them engaged. They also use uh, gambling like mechanics to do this, but let's just talk about the triggers for now. We'll dive yeah. into a little later. Yeah. So the, the triggers will be notifications saying, you know, it's, it's, it's been 15, 20 minutes, 30 minutes since they closed the app. If they were able to, if they managed to close the app, the trigger will prompt you to come back. It'll say you have some, you know, free hearts that you can use or, you know, some in-game currency that you can use. And what's this doing is this is creating a feedback loop with intermittent reinforcement using psychoanalysis to engage them to say, hey, you left. And every 15, 20 minutes, this automated trigger comes forward in your phone. It takes over into your entire screen. Sometimes it's a top notification. Sometimes it'll take over the entire screen and say, click here to join back in the game. You've won 100 points. So it makes you also feel like there's a sense of urgency, right? You won these points. You only have another 15 seconds to click this button uh, before the points are taken away or to, or to claim them now. I mean, you can just take a look at any home screen of any device that you have. The home screen is going to be filled with apps that are marked by red dots. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes those red dots are going to have a number on them. Mm -hmm. Now, the color 
everything on that screen, it was put there for a reason. It was intentionally designed to put those dots there in the top right-hand corner because most of us read from left to right. Mm-hmm. It's the end of the sentence, right? And it was intentionally made to be red instead of green or blue or something else because red signifies urgency. Right. And each app's red dot is a trigger to open that app. Mm-hmm. So we feel like the need to address the notifications are stacking up. Even children who haven't had to work yet, right? It's just innately in us. This is basic human psychology. Red means danger. They're feeding into um, you know these principles that we have. They're really using um, brains, brain science and psychology right. that has existed for you know so many years and 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 continues to be the case. They're like neuroscientist ninjas trying to (laughs) hijack all of the things like these innate things. Right. Because a lot of it, I think, also has to do with that, you know, and I don't know if you can speak to this. I'm sure I know that you can like the reward pathways of like, you know, Mm -hmm. and that's where, you know, and and going back to the free games, like because my Mm -hmm. son, he plays. So he's in fourth grade and he plays um, games that are all, like you said, free on a computer. And I feel like this has gotten away from us. Like where I, before, before he downloads a game, like he has to check with us to make sure I, I look it up usually on common sense media. I will see what the age rating is to see if it's appropriate. Right. Mm -hmm. And, but also sometimes he'll go on YouTube and watch people playing games. Like he's not even playing a game. He's just watching other people play the games, Mm -hmm. um, passively, Uh, but it's just like, but there are certain things set up within these games of like, it opens at this time. So if I don't get on at this time, I have to wait in a line behind all these other people, which Mm -hmm. I don't really understand what all that is, but it does. It creates this sense of urgency for him Mm -hmm. to want to feel like he has to access it as soon as possible so that he has the opportunity to play and, and things, which I think can create a sense of stress, right? Because these things become very meaningful to them. And their brain's not fully developed enough to fight that sense of urgency. And I would even also argue that a lot of us adults with fully developed brains have a hard time being like, I don't have to text this this person back right away. I don't have to deal with this email right away. Like, I just, but it's like, there's this, just this, just, I don't know. There's like this thing where I feel like I have these conversations with people and kids and kids, but also other adults and people that work in the field. And it's like, we all got here and are acknowledging like, okay, this is not the best for all of us in our health and our mental health and stress and anxiety, but how, is there a way to undo this or, and I know we have a question talking about strategy, so maybe you'll cover it there, but are you seeing a shift where people are like, I want to break up with my phone. Like I'm tired of being tied to this thing in your work or are kids feeling that way as well or not really? So yes, the short answer is yes, I am seeing people who want to step away from the devices whose eyes are being opened by the complexities of uh, technology and the psychology behind the potential for it to become addictive, right? For persuasive technology designed to keep our eyes on the screen, which is their, which is the purpose, mm-hmm. regardless of the negative impacts it might have on us. And you're right. A lot of it does come back down 
to brain science. Um, so for the, for, for children, they don't have that prefrontal cortex yet fully formed, Mm -hmm. which is the part for attention and anxiety and innovation. Um, but what this is really all feeding into with the feedback loops is our amygdala. Okay. We have to navigate a complex world around us. We've always had to navigate complex worlds around us as humans and our brains have had to make fast decisions. It's just before the decisions used to be, I'm in the woods foraging, right? In the Paleolithic era, I'm in the woods foraging for food for myself and my family. Um, A bear is running towards me. And so I have to make a fast decision. Your amygdala goes off, anxiety and fear memory. There's a bear running towards me. I have all this food I've foraged. What should I do? Fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. Well, now with technology, they're taking persuasive technology design and it's evolving it's using the evolved shortcuts that we've had to make for decisions for everything from the way we process information to the way we relate to others around us Uh, so we pay more attention to fearful dangerous stimuli to stay safe we might not have as many bears running at us in the woods all the time right unless we're in the woods and then maybe there's a chance but we do have um things that will make us feel that same kind of fearfulness, yes. right? That'll that'll still activate the amygdala. So now we pay more attention to that. So technology purposely puts content in front of us using AI that's going to create this stimuli because we pay more attention to it. And then they get their bottom line met, which is eyes on screens. Mm. It keeps our attention. Um, so, you know, it, it, again, persuasive technology is really honed to tap into our psychology and pushes towards behaviors that benefit the company and not necessarily us. Um, And since this is becoming more common knowledge, there are a number of not just individual like families and caregivers, you know, homes that are looking at ways to reduce this, but they're having conversations about it with their loved ones, with their friends, with their family with their children. Um, there are, there's also a number of initiatives that have taken place. So there's a, um, the camera act was just passed a few months ago, and this is the first federal legislation that supports research through the national institutes of health, which is, you know, federally funded. That's going to look at the impact of screens on children's growth and development Mm. that's never been anything that's been funded before and i can tell you as someone who's also on the research side and who has applied to nih many times and knows about a lot of organizations do the same it's been really hard to get that kind of federal funding and that support and because of the camera act we're also looking now at social media and other technology companies partnering with these social scientists to start finding some solutions around this and starting to hold them a bit more accountable on, all right, when we're designing the technology, let's see how we can put in some safeguards for children because this is starting to impact their growth and development and to really understand long-term what that looks like. Now we finally have the, um, you know, the possibility in place of this mechanism to conduct the large scale federal study in the U S so that we get more concrete solutions. It's so needed. Cause I feel like it's one of the things where it's not going anywhere. Right. 
So like screens aren't going anywhere. And even for example, you know, in our, the districts that I live in, my fourth grader, once he goes to fifth grade now, that's considered like he's done with element. Our elementary schools end at fourth grade. So he'll go to like a five, six center. And then, um, you know, they had the orientation for it the other night. And a lot of it is leaning more on canvas. Like that's where all the information, it's not like papers are sent home anymore, like an elementary school. So Mm -hmm. it's parents being asked to monitor more things online. It's Mm -hmm. kids using these things, you know, screens more frequently, online access more frequently. And I, my understanding is just as kids get older and older, like, I don't even know that kids get textbooks anymore. I think they just get a a, you know, tablet or a Chromebook or something assigned to them. And that's mm. what you have to do all of your schoolwork. And I, there's a part of me that feels like, you know, if you didn't want to give your kid a Chromebook or a tablet, even at young ages, but then it's assigned to them and given to them to do virtual school, if school, there's a snow day or something by the school district, I think it's very difficult or it can be difficult for parents to manage that. Do you understand what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Like mm-hmm. you're, you're kind of, it's like, even if you wanted to kind of create very strict boundaries or delay technology or in an ideal world, you would say, okay, I wish my kid wouldn't see YouTube until they're 12. Right. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's a really hard ask. <laughs> um, right. And so how do you, and that's really our next question is like, what are some strategies you can recommend for parents so that we can balance all of this? Because it's, technology isn't going anywhere, right? It's, it's Mm -hmm. not going anywhere, but yet I think it's becoming more apparent the damage that it can do. What are some like highlighted things we can do as parents to help navigate this and balance this because also it's a thing that's very exhausting and I don't know if people listening to this would identify with this but it's one of those things where like I didn't ask for this and I don't want to manage it like I don't want to manage it I don't want to spend my time thinking about it like like I don't but I feel like I have to because you can't just like let it all go and let them you know because it'll just lead to them being exposed to porn and other things that are awful so it's just like you have to pay attention to it, but it's also, I get kind of resentful sometimes because I'm like, I don't want to have to pay attention to this. I don't mm-hmm. want to spend my time constantly being like, having to look up all this stuff on common sense media and stay, stay up with all of these games and all these things. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Like I'm asking like 20 yeah. questions at one time, but. <laughs> Chrissy, it makes sense. And, and I com- and I completely hear you. Um, it is, it is difficult to keep up because things change so much so fast and so some of the and some of the tied and true ways that have been effective in um being able to manage this um are still one ways that parents and caregivers can do that nowadays so i think last time we talked a bit about creating a media plan mm-hmm. yep and you know there's links for that because what it's going to look like is going to be unique to each family. Maybe you have a four-year-old and a seven-year-old and a 16-year-old in your house, right? Obviously the way that the media is managed for, for the entire family is not going to be uniform. Um, Just like the meals that you manage for all of them, it might not be uniform, right? And the schedules they have might not be uniform because they all have different hobbies going on. They're all different developmental ages. But one thing that is the same is um, what you can do in the home. So first and foremost, having conversations about it 
with your kids, right? So if you have implemented something like let's just have family dinners every night um, or on the weekends, we have one or two meals that we share on the weekends. During that time, implementing the let's put screens away, but also talk about what they do when they're on the screens. Um, and it doesn't have to be as structured as every single weekend, every single evening. That's just for people who like the structure. Let's say life happens, of course, right? Structure goes out the window or it's a lot to keep up with. All right. Then in passing, when the opportunity arises, having the conversation, you are coming into the house and you notice your child sitting on the couch and they're in front of their screen uh, and you leave to go do something, you come back 45 minutes later, they're still in the exact same position, haven't moved. Uh So here's a great opportunity to ask, Hey, what are you playing? Hey, what are you viewing? Okay. And ask some questions about it. What's so, you know, what's so interesting about it? What do you like about this person that's sharing or what, what do you like about this game? Getting to know more about the content, because once they share with you what's going on and you have some context into what they're viewing, Mm -hmm. then that gives you the opportunity to instill your values and share your thoughts to communicate with them, you know, in a, in a face-to-face setting which can help them to start thinking about this because they're not going to get if not they're going to get a lot of this content online they're going to you know get a lot of the same recycled content because Mm -hmm. because of persuasive technology design because of the way that algorithms intentionally are going to cycle through the same content to keep their eyes on the screen right the potential for the intervention now comes from the human side. Mm-hmm. And yes, there's tools that can help too. Absolutely. You know, password management systems where you change the passwords or, it, you know, um, it's changes it automatically for you. Is it one more thing to manage? Sure. But it's a little bit more automated. You can instill that as well. But the one thing that you don't really have to manage or even think about or pre-plan if you don't want to is the opportunity to have the conversation as often as you can in those moments and then instilling your values and sharing your thoughts, co-viewing, co-viewing the content they're viewing with them and asking them for you know thoughts in the moment or sharing your thoughts with them is so powerful when you're with children, especially because so much of their screen time usage might occur with others like friends, but they don't really talk about it. So when they have someone to talk to and talk through it, like a caregiver, mm-hmm. that's what parents can do to help. Um, not just intervene, but have that, uh, you know, moments of understanding and clarity and context of what is it that my child is actually viewing that's impacting them. Yeah. And I mean, they are excited, like even because so, you know, my son's 10, my daughter's six. And so, you know, they all they have things that they like to watch. I mean, the only thing my daughter watched, I mean, she's in kindergarten. So she just watches shows and her and I are watching like Fuller House, like on Netflix, like the reboot of Full House, which I grew up <laughs> yeah. with as a child of the 90s. And then we actually watched the very first episode of Full House last night. And it was lovely and very nostalgic. And it's, you know, I mean, she almost is like a little, too, it's a sitcom show, so it's okay. It has some like adult references in it, but I think it's all rated, I want to say like Y7 or PG for the mo- most part. Mm-hmm. And so it's fine. It's, it's okay for her, you know, but mm-hmm. she just is passively watching TV, but it's almost like to this place where it's like, oh my gosh, TV is like the more gentle thing. Just passive shows, watching a show seems like the quote unquote, like better option if you're going to be on a screen as opposed to video games or YouTube, which is like the wild west. So you don't know what's going to pop up. Um, but they do get excited to kind of, you know, share that with me. So we'll, you know, we'll watch things together. And then with my son, 
he does get excited be like, hey, look at this game I just started playing. And, and I do try to do that, like take a minute and look at it and, you know, watching like, well, what's the point of this? And why do you like to play it? And all of those things. Um, but, you know, it's interesting how even in these video games and they somehow the video games end up leading to YouTube videos of people playing the games and like top players for the games. Mm -hmm. And then I notice now, and maybe could you explain this to me? I notice even with my 10 year old who is not on social media, he doesn't have a phone yet. um, He doesn't have any social media accounts, but he'll go on YouTube and he will ask things about, well, how many follows are there? How many likes? Like when we talk about this podcast, he's like, well, how many people have listened? How many downloads? How many people have listened to your podcast? Mamas, you should get merch. We got to get merch. (laughs) Like he's very all about merch. Um, (laughs) Which, but like, it's this language that he already is saying, like, well, how many followers are there? How many likes? Oh, well, hmm, oh, that's interesting. And this is just from YouTube alone. So what is that doing to their brains? Yeah, yeah. So I think in the short answer is that what we're seeing is the impact of artificial intelligence starting to model behavior that the general internet follows impacting our children, right? Because it's it's shaping their language and it's shaping what their beliefs and attitudes are about the purpose of the internet. Um, so for him, it sounds like he's saying, all right, well, the intention of, of the, playing this game is to seek that external validation, get those likes, get those subscribers. Of course, what it doesn't, what he doesn't know what that equates to is monetary value, right? Because you have more likes, you have more subscribers, you have more potentials for ad deals and getting more money for your views on your videos and things like that. Right. Um, and you know, these features are essentially first designed to keep children entertained but instead they're incentivizing them now with artificial intelligence to keep them coming back and create opportunities to analyze their behaviors while they're not there you know i I recently after the camera act was passed there was a lot of testimonials uh, of people who were sharing about the impacts of technology um, on their child's development and on their brains and one of the stories i think one of the statements from a a mother who was sharing their story that stuck out with me the most is that they said tiktok knows more about my daughter than i do and her daughter was 10 Um, And it's because, you know, TikTok isn't just addictive because it's funny videos or, um, you know, short second videos. It's that way because it's one of the most sophisticated, persuasive technology design algorithms on the planet to choose videos that will keep you watching. Mm -hmm. So we don't know so much about what the impact of this is having currently on the development of adolescent brains. But we do know is that it's impacting our amygdala. It's overriding our prefrontal cortex and it's feeding into our hippocampus by creating these autobiographical memories using the anxiety and fear memory from the amygdala with these videos to keep us engaged because we remember things that hurt us more than things that help us so we can predict future consequences that's a defense mechanism and we tend to follow the popular opinion of those around us to build stronger communities around shared ideas 
because that feels safe, the sense of safety in numbers or social desirability through a sense of community. And even if that sense of community is just likes on your video or followers on your channel, the, the the psychology behind it is still there. So we know this, these are the parts of our child's brain and of our adults, our adult brains that are being impacted with this persuasive technology. So in addition to co-viewing with kids, having a family media plan and the family media plan really is where you kind of set, like, I'm assuming, you know, the screen limits and say like, okay, you can have X amount of time per day to go on your laptop or iPad or whatever it is. And Mm -hmm. maybe explaining to your kids, like, listen, I'm setting up parental controls. Like, because do you feel it's important? I would say it's important to be transparent with them and say, listen, I'm going to set this control. So there's, you can't watch any R rated movies or you can't, you know, access videos that are meant above this TV rating or, or whatever it is and, and hope that the filters work right. And they don't get around them. Um, Mm -hmm. Is there anything else? I mean, because hearing this is just, it's, and and something else that I'm also thinking of is recently, you know, I teach um, as an adjunct at a local university and in it is the course that I'm teaching um, is human development. And so it has to do with talking about how, you know, how you create your social emotional like development and create your sense of self-worth and identity. And, and I had my students who are now all College age students, the majority of them are 18 to 23, 24, probably. And I had them write a reflection paper about self-esteem and they had to look back and think about different periods of life, childhood, adolescence, and now current, you know, young adulthood, self-esteem and how it's changed and, and answer a bunch of different questions. And the interesting thing is the number one theme, and you probably already know what I'm going to say, is that and then these are people who are now have are native to technology. So this is the people, you know students who now were in middle school and high school when Instagram came out, when TikTok came out. So they were there when it kind of all started or became quite popular. And all of them, the theme that I'm getting more than anything else is they all say is that I, they talk about being bullied on the internet. They talk about Mm. being bullied on all these social media apps. And a lot of them talk about how looking back, they wish they never had it because they felt like Mm. the number one word is compare comparing Mm -hmm. comparison and they talk so much about comparison and how it was awful to be so young and be going through puberty and being in middle school and having these awful like mean girls pages dedicated to you know talking about different girls in their school and what their bodies looked like like a fake account and just awful things just really cruel things and and it's interesting them now as young adults look back and say I wish I never had access to this Um, so I I don't know if you can speak to talking just about this, you know, how this persuasive technology, how all of these things, you know, they're working on our reward pathways and all of these really innate human parts of our body to keep us on these different devices. Mm -hmm. Um, but the comparison piece of it, because along with the likes and follows that to me is what I worry about is just, Is it you're just setting up your kids, not intentionally because you don't know what you don't know, but by using these different types of technology and interfaces like and apps and things like setting them up to be in this constant mode of comparison and searching for outward external validation and assurance instead of building up their own individual self-worth. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, that's a, that's a great, um, 
I think it's a great place to to come from because you know FOMO is more than just the fear of missing out on attending uh, an event or you know being invited to a birthday party. It's the fear of missing out on different parts of your life or yourself, right? Um, and that comes down to social comparison. So there's a lot of research that does show the impact social comparison has, in particular, social comparison in social media companies. Uh, and how it impacts the self-esteem of children. And that's leading to them having lower self-esteem. So these are longitudinal studies that are, are showing this direct impact. But we're also seeing that there now is um, a large amount of adolescents and children that have unrealistic expectations from the social comparison, right? right? Things that may or may not be potential for them. Now that can lead to increased anxiety or depression because of the lower self-esteem, because of these unattainable, unrealistic expectations that have been placed in front of them due to the social comparison. And that impacts their character developments. Now they are um, starting to engage in behaviors for the external validation, but this seeks to a feeling that leads to a deficit in their own intrinsic validation or their familial validation. So with their family being able to validate their feelings or express themselves, they now no longer feel like that's enough, right? They need that external validation. Um, and also during a time, especially for children in middle and high school, this is a time when they're really starting to, engage in self-exploration of who they are and their characteristics and their understandings of life. But instead of doing some of that self-exploration by having a group of friends and then of course having their family and their support systems uh, as well to help them engage with that in a safe way, they're doing it more so online. Mm -hmm. And when you put yourself out there online, uh, time and time again, the internet has proven that there is always going to be someone that engages in the online toxicity, right? That online right. bullying that you mentioned before. And I actually, you know, I, I use the term online toxicity, but it's, you can think of it as cyber bullying or online harassment. It's just rude, aggressive or degrading attitudes and behaviors that are often exhibited in online platforms and in online video games. Mm -hmm. um, and it impacts just so many people who are online there's just something about the anonymity of being behind a screen that people who would normally never in in a physical setting act this way, right, right? where they would bully others or harass others, do so online. And then we have the added um, context of persuasive technology design where there's actually some um, bots that are designed to using persuasive technology design and artificial intelligence intentionally dox or swat um, or harass people because it gets them the more views and more likes, right? It gets them more of that um, attention, which usually equates to, if it's a bot, it usually equates to them trying to gain, uh, you know, some financial incentive from it. So, you know, it's just, but regardless of whether the, the child is being bullied or experiencing this online toxicity from a bot or a person, the way they feel about it 
and the impact that has on their life is still very real. Mm-hmm. There's actually um, a really large study that's done every year by um, an organization that looks at the impact of toxicity in online video games. And what they found is that with youth in particular, ages 13 to 17, 18% who experienced online toxicity in a video game Mm -hmm. treated people worse than usual right after. Mm. And 10% had reported also doing worse in school And 17% didn't feel like seeing or talking to their friends or family after they played the game and got harassed. So they wanted to isolate. Mm. So like, those are not great things that those it's like the opposite of anything you would want for your kid. So I guess my question is, Is it even worth it to let, because this just makes me want to go scorched earth and just shut everything down, (laughs) you know, and just while I'm still a little bit ahead of the game, sort of, you know, Um, but what would you tell parents? I guess what would be the best advice that you would tell parents if they say, well, my kid, maybe my kid is, you know, because I know most of the social media apps say you have to be 13 in order to use them. Mm -hmm. Um, if they say, well, this is how kids stay in touch with each other. This is how they socialize with their friends. I'm right. And the parents yeah. feeling pressure to allow their kid to participate in this. How would you, would, should the parent just be like, no, I, I'm sorry, but we're, I can't expose you to this because it's shown me that this is actually more, you know, there's more cons than pros to using this. Or how do you navigate that? Because I do feel like that's a piece of this that's so difficult that parents have to deal with is that, their children are saying, well, everybody else has this, right? So there's like the peer pressure piece of it. But also this is how we communicate. This is how we interact with each other now, which Mm -hmm. sounds like is not untrue. How would Mm -hmm. you advise a parent handle that to keep some healthy guardrails around this? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, first and foremost, we did talk about limiting the screen time and that's going to look different for each family so i do suggest to use the american pediatric association's media plan that's online to determine the best plan that fits for yours but also um content right not all content is equal so although there might be some of this content that um is more harmful Uh, There's also some content online that's not. Mm -hmm. There's some content that's nourishing. And you can learn more about what that looks like by engaging in co-viewing and then having that conversation. Now, the good thing is that we do have, of course, now a lot of um, tools that we can use. So setting up a child account, using tools that are offered. For example, Meta has a parenting platform tool now, too, that you can use. And, of course, Meta is Instagram. Instagram, Facebook, and WhatsApp. Mm -hmm. Um, And I really think that what it comes down to is having the conversation early and often. Mm -hmm. So you know now, you know, from listening to this podcast, from doing your own research, not all content's created equal. There is some age or developmentally appropriate stuff and that there's the potential for your child to be exposed to something that might not be age or development appropriate, or that might not be the kind of content you'd like them to view, Mm -hmm. but the tools in place are to help you to circumvent that 
but more importantly, you're there, Mm -hmm. right? So instilling your values, sharing your thoughts, having the conversation, how they feel about after they seeing that, um, you know, setting a timer, reinforce repetition. It's important because especially for the, for the development of a child, for their ability, for their capacity to comprehend at whatever stage of life they're in, as well as selective listening, mm-hmm. uh, we know that, you know, sharing these thoughts, having these conversations, reinforcement is really going to be a key in, in helping them to navigate it. And at the end of the day, as caregivers, we know that children will eventually for the most part, right? Leave the nest. They will have to navigate this on their own. Um, And from what you've shared too, the conversations you've had, you know, with your college students who said, I wish I didn't have Mm -hmm. uh, Instagram. I wish I didn't have these experiences. So, you know, the experiences may or may not happen. Right. And that's something that as much as we try to control, sometimes it might still happen. But what we can help is to mitigate the impact of these experiences, to talk about them and to help our child know that you are a safe and trusted adult that they can come to, um, you know, to, to mitigate these information. I think what really it comes down to is that we're shifting perspectives with our children. Right. We're thinking of the time spent on technology like a diet. The content that we're viewing can nourish our minds mm-hmm. um, and it can be some of it can be fruits and vegetables and some of it can be cookies and fried food and you know cookies and fried food might taste delicious in the moment right. but they're not really nourishing us right mm-hmm. um, and if we eat too much of those fried foods or those cakes and cookies then we end up with having some physical ailments as a result of it, right? We might not feel so good. I have a tummy ache, things like that. Well, that's why we need the balance. Mm. Um, and, you know, finding the balance with their content and what that might look like. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great way to put it because it is, it's not just that, because I, I just feel like me personally, anyway, with my kids, we I, we're really good with time limits using timers. And then also when the timer goes off being like, hey, your timer went off. You got to turn that off now. Hold on. Hold on. The the endless. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. I'm in a match. Hold on. Hold on. (laughs) Right. So that's a whole nother thing. But um, we've been very good, at least in my household, of having time limits and consistently holding them. But I think that I really need to focus on the content and really doing those co-viewing things and checking in and kind of looking at you know, whether that's looking at like search history or things or just, and also that is my project for the summer Mm -hmm. is to add more layers of filters and things to help make sure like, like you said, those automated parent tools and things um, Mm -hmm. to help me, us uh, keep (laughs) not great content out as well as, but I I do, you know, after everything you've shared, I do think that is a piece of it is just really knowing in not just, you know, zoning out and be like, all right, you have 30 minutes, go do your 30 minutes, whatever. Like really getting to know the content that they're consuming. Absolutely. And, you know, I have the four C's, which is one way to help kind of guide the conversation Mm -hmm. Um, and not just a way to teach parents, but also kids about their screen time and ensure the content's nourishing them, right? Thinking of it again, like this diet. Mm -hmm. So the first C is connection. It's really important to connect on a personal level with what you're watching, playing, or reading. Mm -hmm. So when they're engaging in online content, you can say, ask yourself, do you connect with the main character or the side characters in this story? If they're not watching a story, right? Do um, you feel enlightened? Are you getting into the information that's being 
uh, shared or, you know, what you're watching and what do you feel? What's the connection that you feel? Is it because they're playing a game and you want to play that game? Is it because they're spending money on, you know, this and you want to spend money on that? Find out where the connection might be. And that can help you understand a bit more about the context and, and how they feel. The next C is critical thinking. So critical thinking is a little complex, right? But really all it comes down to is to make sure that the information that you're watching is something that you can be curious about. Is it taking, is it expanding um, a subject that you want to know more about or a skill that you're curious about, right? What is this helping to feed your curiosity? That's what critical thinking really comes down to. Then we have creativity. That's the third C. So there's tons of sources for creativity on the internet and so many great tools that can give you the opportunity to create new things. And especially for, uh, you know, children that are, are in the stages where they're, they're learning um, and their creativity is at all time high. Uh, if they are watching content that's helping them to learn how to take photos um, or learn a new skill or a hobby that they might be interested in, right? So what creativity is this content feeding into? And then the last C is context. So this is the big picture stuff, the context of what you're viewing that can help you make sense of the world and things around you. So there's like some streamers or content creators that you follow that post things which make you feel negative or unwanted emotions, right? Let's identify that. Yeah. Um, also, let's identify maybe something that you view does not provide enough context. Are they hiding information? Would you want to know more? Uh, and then just think of the big picture and how what you're consuming online fits into your life, into your place, and how it impacts your attitudes, beliefs, and thoughts. So basically to balance this out, you can just unfollow content mm -hmm. that does not fall within your balanced media diet, and then have um, some even challenge themselves by you know setting limits on their phone as well. Um, with the content that they're viewing that they know is more like the junk food versus not. But, you know, the bottom line, it's just where does the content fit within these three C's and how can I create a balanced media diet for me? Having your kids be involved in that conversation. I love these four C's and I'm, I'm, I'm going to put that on like I'm going to print it out and put it up right next to like where my son has his like laptop set up on a desk in our basement. Like just to be like, Hey, let's check in on our four C's. What you're looking at there. Hmm. Let me see. Like it's, it's very helpful though, to just to have those prompts to go through this. So, Oh my gosh, you have given us so much, us, me, so much information. Um, today, my mind is like that exploding brain emoji, I feel like. right now. But thank you so much for coming back again to return um, to share all of your information with us. It's so it's really, I feel like very cutting edge and, and very falls in line with our you don't know what you don't know. And it's really helpful. So thank you so much, Dr. Diaz Morel, for coming back. Absolutely. Thank you so much for for having me. Glad to be here. Yeah. If um, people want to learn more about you and your work and also Reboot and Recover, where can listeners find you? Oh, so you can go right to the website, rebootandrecover.org. Um, and there we have a resources page with some extra information. We even have some clip videos, some free assessments, and then there's a contact us section. So if you do want to reach out, feel free to put your information in there and uh, someone will reach out to you. Awesome. Thank you so much. 
Thank you everyone for joining us today. You will find information and links to everything we talked about in the show notes. Be sure to click subscribe or follow in your podcast app so you can stay up to date on our latest episodes. And if you are liking our pod, we would love it if you would share it with a friend. We will talk to you in two weeks. Thanks. Bye. Bye.